0: Well, good morning, church family. Good morning. Well, as we mentioned, we are uh, continuing on our series in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we're finally into chapter 10. We made it to double digits, uh, so you can follow along with us this morning. Well, in, in the early 90s, we were introduced to an all-time television classic, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Woo-hoo! Yeah, which told the story of young Will Smith, played by the actor... Will Smith, he was really going out on a limb. Uh, And for those of us in the 90s, we, we know the story. But in West Philadelphia, he was born and raised on the playground. He spent most of his days chilling out, Max, I think is what it says, and relaxing all cool. You know, shooting some b-ball outside of the school. that We could all do the song. Uh, maybe, we, maybe that'd be funny, but we're not going to do that. Um, but the, you, you know the story. And if you don't, the, the story is this. Will gets into some trouble in Philadelphia. And so his mom says, hey, you know what? There's, there's, these are some bad influences. We're gonna, I'm going to send him out to live with his rich aunt and uncle in Bel Air. And, and so that's, that's where he goes. And, and from that point, uh, Bel Air was a crazy upgrade for Will. And he, was, he went from having very little to having a butler, to flying first class to get there, to having fancy cars, his own bedroom in the pool house. And of course, the entire show is one of Will uh, learning and recognizing that the, that the power that he got through money and through a big house and through fancy cars and all of this stuff, this life that he went into, that that really isn't what he needed. That what he really needed was something lasting, something more fixed, something that would sustain him. He needed, he needed family. That was going to be the lesson. Uh, but in today's text, Jesus' disciples, they're going to experience ministry success. They're going to get a power that they have not seen or been able to wield. And, and like us, they're going to learn a lesson from Jesus today. I pray that we will learn it as well. The lesson that, that they possess, that we possess a blessing that is far greater than power. Far greater than miraculous signs and wonders. And so as we walk through our text today, I want us to see four things. Number one, messengers sent. Number two, the message proclaimed. Number three, the joy of the messenger. And number four, the joy of the king. Let me pray, with, pray for us once more. I just wanna ask you now, would you, would you pray right where you're seated, would you pray for yourself as you hear that God will give you ears to hear and a heart to receive? Go ahead and pray now where you are for yourself. And would you pray for me uh, that the Lord would speak, not, not my words, but his words to us, that we would hear, uh, that we would hear truth from his word this morning um, so that we might hear and believe. Oh Lord, we need you this morning. We need you by your spirit to, to bring light to your word, to point us to Jesus. So Father, would you do this today in us? Would you help us? And would you, would you make us, uh, would you help us to love Jesus and to use us for his glory, for your namesake? I pray all this in Christ's name, amen. Well, number one, uh, the messengers sent. So picking up in verse one here in chapter 10, uh, we read, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. So I, I think as we've seen the ministry of Jesus, what we should, I think one thing to take note of is that his ministry is not this haphazard thing. It's not a bunch of random encounters and healings. They aren't just moseying from place to place. Certainly there is some spontaneity to his ministry as people come to him, but there is also intentionality. Uh, just like last week, we read that Jesus has turned his face. He's, he's now headed toward, toward Jerusalem. Uh, he knows where he is going, but he also knows that the stops that he's going to take along the way. And so now he's sending out messengers to the places where he is about to visit. And almost like John the Baptist, they're preparing the way of the Lord. They're going ahead of him. And if you remember, this may sound a little bit familiar, right? Because just a chapter ago, we read a story where the 12 were sent out, right? And Jesus gave them very similar instructions, didn't he? About what to take and, and how to go. Um, and so it's, 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 it feels a little repetitive. So what's, what's going on? Why these two different missions? If you remember back as we talked at the beginning of Luke, one of the key themes in Luke uh, is that the gospel is going to the outcast. It's going to the marginalized. It's going to the Gentiles. And so Jesus has sent the 12, and oftentimes the the 12 uh, uh, is associated, the number 12, with the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. And now he's not just sending 12, he's sending out 72 others, or as some manuscripts say, 70. There's, that's a longer conversation as to why there's a discrepancy in number. But the idea of 70 is going back to the, this idea in Genesis 10, that after the flood, uh, that, that, that the idea that from Noah's sons, there were 70 nations on the earth. And so I, I don't think Luke is drawing too much attention to this here. But in short, I, I, I do think we see that Jesus' min- mission is yes, to seek the lost sheep of Israel, but also it's even bigger. It's to announce the kingdom of God to all nations. That's what Simeon had prayed at the beginning of, of Luke, that, that, he would be a, that his salvation would be the light to all the world, to the ends of the earth. And so as he gets ready to send out this group of 72, listen to what Jesus tells them. Verse two, he told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So as, as Jesus is looking out to these, to these towns he's gonna go to and as to the, to the, even to the nations of the world, I think, Matthew's gospel gives us even a little more detail here. He, he says that Jesus was filled with compassion, that his heart broke. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd so pick whichever metaphor you want to use. Uh, he's the good shepherd who longs to, to bring in the lost sheep. Or he's the Lord of the harvest who, who longs to gather in the harvest of faith to bring in the fruit of those who would believe. And, and to use the, the farming analogy, I'm not a farmer, but if you are, uh, you can tell me more later. Uh, but the, when a farmer has to harvest his crops... When it's time, there was, there's a particular season, right? We celebrate that every year, right? There's harvest season. It's the, it's the season in the fall, right? Where, where uh, crops are to be gathered. There's a sweet spot of time, from what I understand, that, that crops may be harvested. And if you don't have enough crops to work in that season, then, then you're in trouble. You can, you can risk missing out some of the harvest. So using this picture, uh, Jesus is saying, here's, here's what we're called to do. Number one, uh, he gives us two things. Number one, Pray. First, you pray. Pray, believing that it's His harvest. It's not. It's not our harvest. It's not your harvest. It's not up to us. So we ask Him, Lord, send people, send laborers, send more workers. But second, what do we do? This is the first words of verse three. He says, "Now go." So pray, and then we go. As you're going, pray for more workers. We don't pray and retreat. We, we don't pray and give up. No, we pray and then we go. And I, I'm... I love our church family. I'm so, I think often of just how grateful I am for the way that God has knit us together, the way he's shaping us. And you guys are such a joy. Lawson and I have been talking lately about, we're working on a series that we're gonna do in the month of September that really talks about the values that shape our church. And I'm excited to do that. But but as we talk about that, we also end up talking about where we can grow as a church family. And we've been praying, the elders are praying Lord, would you fill us with compassion for those who don't know Jesus? Would you give us a heart for the lost? Would you, would you have us look out as you did, Jesus, with compassion? The harvest in Tomball and Cyprus and Magnolia and Spring and Houston, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Lord, send workers, send us, send Redeemer Church. We're asking that he would increase our heart for evangelism, for sharing the truth and the and the reality, the, the saving grace of the gospel. Would he grow our hearts for sharing with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with classmates this year, with our friends, with our family members? So we pray to the Lord of the harvest, and then we go. And so I'll ask you, are, are you praying? Are you praying for your lost friends? maybe just more specifically, like, is there a lost friend? Is there somebody you know who doesn't know Jesus that, that just is burdening you, that you want them to know? Are you praying that someone will share the truth and the hope of Jesus with them? And maybe even the next, next are you praying that it'll be you? Are you asking the Lord, would that be me? Students, when you, when you sit down in, in classrooms this week, I, I, I totally get the lure of like trying to make a good impression, of like not wanting to rock the boat, make waves when you show up, just trying to make friends. But, but remember this. You have been sent. Wherever you are, it is, not by, it is not by chance that you are where you are. The Lord has sent you there. So are you watching? Are you looking for the outcasts? Are you looking for those who seem hopeless? This is my prayer for my own kids this week. It's... Lord, protect them. But then also, Lord, would you, would you send them as laborers? Would you, would you help them to see the harvest? Would they, would they get the joy of experiencing gathering in the harvest that people, people that you are working in their hearts? Would you help them? Would you allow them to play a part? And would that happen in all of our schools, in high schools, junior highs, public schools, private schools, homeschool co-ops, sports teams, extracurricular, whatever. Would he use all of you? Students, he's going to use you. Would you would pray that the Lord would help you to see yourself as sent by him? Lord, lead us, lead us to pray and send us out. And so maybe this sounds terrifying to you. You're like, man, this, is, I, this that already scares me. Um, well, listen, listen how Jesus describes it in verse three. He says, now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. So be comforted. Uh, it's, it's worse than you think. Um, it is terrifying. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't even soft sell it. He doesn't say it's going to be easy. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay. No, he says it's going to be scary. In fact, lambs don't have the capacity to overcome wolves, do they? You don't have the words that will convince people about Jesus. But he says, that's okay. In fact, it's their lack of impressiveness that the Lord is going to use. The Lord's gonna use our stumbling evangelism. He's gonna use our lack of eloquence. So what does he tell them to do? Verse four, don't carry a money bag, traveling bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this household. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. He's saying, don't ask for stuff. Don't bring supplies. Find a household to stay within the city. And if they welcome you, just stay and see what God does. Who are, who are these people of peace that we read about? A person of peace. This would be, well, this could be those who have ears to hear. This could be those who have hearts to receive. This could be the good soil. Those who, who would receive with joy. Uh, the, the, the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Or it might just be that the, the person of peace is someone uh, who is not ready to receive the message that you bring, but they like you. Do you know people like that? Some of you are pretty likable. Some of you are really likable. You're more likable than me. Uh, the Lord will use you. Praise God for that. Who, who are the people that, that may not be open to the gospel yet, but they're open to you. They'll receive you. Make friends. God has called us to be a blessing. So be a good friend. Be a friend of sinners. So then what's next? Verse seven, remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. Don't you love God's sovereignty in this? There's two comforts here. First, you don't have to go to everyone. He just says, stay in the same house, just stay there. You don't have to get to everybody. So you're you're not responsible for going to everybody. Just be faithful. It, it, settle for something really small. Start there. Be faithful in in a relationship in in some small settings. And then he, and then he just says you can eat their food, drink their drink. You can just be there. And I, I love the number two. That I think the second thing we see here is that uh, remember when it seemed like they were ill-prepared, right? They're going as lambs among wolves. Uh, and he's, he's saying, hey, I'm not, don't even take anything. Don't take sandals, don't take anything. And then he says, look, I'm gonna give you some food. You're gonna show up and you're gonna be in these other houses. I'm gonna give you food. They're gonna give you a place to stay. They're gonna give you everything that you need. He's gonna provide what they need and he's gonna use others to do it. What a, it's, it's, almost, it's a very non-impressive but amazing provision of God. He will bring people to your way. He will, he will have them welcome you into their lives. He will give you precious friendships with people that don't know Jesus. He's gonna open doors like that so, so you can walk through them, so that you can be faithful with them. May we be faithful. Number two, the message. Look in verse eight, he says, when you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Verse nine, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into the streets and say, we are wiping off even the dust of uh, your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you on that day, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. So we, we bring two messages, don't we? And the two messages are really actually part of the same message. Message number one, we bring the kingdom of God is near to you. It's good. He's near. He's here for you. He's, he's for you. It's amazing that a regular part of Jesus's ministry is he comes into a town. He proclaims the kingdom of God. And what does he do? He heals people, whether, whether himself healing people or now some of his disciples healing people. God's nearness is your good, his kingdom. that that's, that becomes the backdrop of the announcement of the kingdom. He's saying the kingdom is coming and and it's going to be like this. It's gonna be, a, the kingdom of God is, is where life conquers death. In the kingdom of God, wholeness and healing will replace sickness. This is the coming kingdom of God, that there's a king coming and he wants to make you whole, that he'll remove your guilt. He'll restore your life. He'll restore your body. So that's, that's part one of the message. But part two uh, is that for those who don't hear, Oh yeah, also a king is coming. So the message is the same way both times. The king is coming, but if you don't receive him, if you don't hear and and receive the, the truth of the kingdom of God, then it won't go well for you when he comes again. It won't go well for you when he arrives. For those who believe the nearness of God is our good, the scriptures say, but for those who don't believe, God is not neutral. Those who hear his message of peace and don't listen For them, God's nearness is a fearful thing. His wrath and his judgment are terrifying. And this isn't because God is awful. No, this is because we are. Right? If if we want to be with him forever, then he has to save us. He has to change us. This is why judgment is part of the gospel message. Turn to Jesus and you'll be received. He will make you whole. He will remove your sin he will make you fit for heaven, for the kingdom of God so that you can be with him forever. But if you don't believe, if you don't trust in him, then your sin will keep you from him and then his judgment will rest upon you. And maybe, and maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you're like, man, I've tried a lot. I have been, I've been trying to make myself whole. I've been trying to clean myself up. I've tried thing after thing. I've I've tried self-help tool after self-help tool and I can't do it. And I, I just wanna encourage you, just stop now. You can't, you're right, you can't do it. But Jesus can. If you turn to him, if you confess your sin, he'll cleanse you, he'll make you new, he'll forgive you, believe in him. Jesus died and he rose again so that you could have life. Like real life, not life of trying to make him happy, but life of his perfect righteousness making you whole. And notice, they went outside and they shook the dust off their feet. So this is like a a, kind of a cultural thing. We're probably not gonna make that part of our evangelism, so I would just encourage you, maybe don't do that. Um, Maybe when somebody closes the door and doesn't accept your invitation in your neighborhood, don't walk out into the street and say, I shake the dust of your yard off of my feet. Don't do that. Um, If you do, then don't tell us about it. Um, Tell your neighbors that your church told you not to do that. Um, but, But why did they do this? This was actually part of the message. These cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, they had seen the miracles of Jesus up close, they had a front row seat. They should have received the message, they should have welcomed the disciples. They should have had them in their home as, as their guests. They should have washed the feet of these disciples. They sh- but they didn't. They didn't wash the dust off of the feet of these disciples. And since they didn't, the disciples walk away and, and God's just saying, shake the dust off then. They didn't wash your feet. They didn't welcome you. Just shake it off and move on. And that's always been how people have responded to the gospel. This isn't new. If we could, if we could talk about uh, just a theme of the Old Testament... Part of the story of the Old Testament is us reading that God drew, new, this, this is a summary of, of the Old Testament. God drew near to his people. He knew, drew near to Israel in, in glory and in power and mercy. And though some repented, many rejected. They turned to idols. They turned to other kings. This is Psalm uh, 78. If you've never read this Psalm, it's just a great summary of all these many things that God did. And I'll just read just a little section of it, starting at verse 13. We read this about God. He split the sea and brought them across the water. Uh, the water stood firm like a wall. He led them with a cloud by day and with a fiery light throughout the night. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as abundant as the depths. He brought streams out of the stone and made water flow down like rivers. So this is all the ways that God's, God, God has provided for them. And he goes on and on and on. And then skip down to verse 32. Despite all this, they kept sinning and did not believe his wondrous works. This is a good summary of the Old Testament, isn't it? Despite all this, they kept sinning and did not believe his wondrous works. And Jesus knows this, isn't, this is the hearts of men. This isn't just the story of the Old Testament. This is, this, this is the sort of ministry that the disciples are going to encounter, that some will receive, but many will see the signs and wonders of God and they will still reject him. And Jesus has strong words for people like that. The ones that would see the nearness of God, they'd be so close and still reject him. Verse 13, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they, wouldn't, they would have uh, repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon yet uh, at the judgment than for you to be so close and yet still refuse still refuse to repent what a, what a travesty proximity to miracles though we see it. It, it we see it all over the new testament it doesn't soften hearts does it you can be so close and see it up, up you can see it firsthand we think man if i just, if i could just see if i could have just seen what they saw but we see so many still with hard hearts And so Jesus says in verse 16, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. There will be those who listen, those who receive the message that we bring. And so may we be faithful. May we remain with them. May we patiently and consistently love them and share the hope of Jesus with them. And we'll be patient even for those who reject. Lord, bring many. Let's ask him that he would bring many to respond to his grace through us. Number three, the joy of the messenger. Okay, so how did it go? Jesus sent them out. Uh, The the pep talk he gave didn't sound uh, all that exciting. Uh, It sounded like it was gonna be tough. And so here they are, the verse 17, they're back. Let's see what they have to say about their experience. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Well, hey. Like, that's pretty good, right? Like, this sounds promising. Like they had a good trip. They're saying it worked, Lord. It was great. You wouldn't believe it, Lord. Well, maybe you would, because you're the Lord. Uh, but we had power, like, like real power. We we were able to heal people, we had authority over demonic powers we told demons to leave and stop tormenting people and the demons obeyed us we know that you said that we should go heal the sick but we it really happened it was wild jesus now i think it's important to at least note some things that they didn't say they didn't come back and just say lord man you're powerful this is incredible they didn't come back and report to, to Jesus and say, Lord, you wouldn't believe how many people received the message, how many people of peace we came across. They didn't even come in low and say, Lord, some amazing things happened, but we don't deserve to be used like this. Your grace is so great that you would use us. Thank you, Lord. No, they're, they're enamored, right? They're, they're blown away by the power that they have been able to experience. And just when you think Jesus might flip it on him and go Uncle Ben from Spider-Man, and you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Or maybe he, maybe even more than that, he, that he would completely flip him, and flip it on him and like a good preacher say, hey, guys, it's, it's not about power, it's about people. That'd be a good preacher thing to say. No, Jesus does, Jesus does what Jesus does. Verse 18, he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a lightning. Okay, Jesus. Uh, So what's he doing? Like, why is he going here? Here's here's what I, I think is happening. The disciples aren't thinking too highly of power. The disciples are thinking too lowly of power. Jesus is saying, hey, you're telling great stories, but I want you to look at me. I don't think you've understood my power. What I sent you to do is amazing. But it is a 12-ounce water bottle just skimming the top of the bottomless depth of the ocean of my power. And some scholars, in fact, a lot of scholars have different ideas about exactly what Jesus is getting at here. But, but I, think, I think something that's clear is, is what he, part of what he's saying is this. He's saying, I've been around. Like he says in John's gospel, before Abraham was, I am... He's saying, I've seen it all. Before Satan's work on the earth, before the Garden of Eden, I've seen Satan. I saw him fall like lightning. And Jesus isn't squelching their excitement about what happened, but he's setting it into perspective. This is, this is Gandalf at the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, if, if, you've, if you're familiar with Lord of the Rings, as, as, as Bilbo is becoming enamored with, uh, with the ring, right? He has the ring and he's, he's even beginning to say, my precious, he's calling it my precious. Gandalf snaps him out of it by saying, Bilbo Baggins, don't take me for some conjurer of cheap tricks. I'm not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. And of course, this snaps Bilbo back to reality when he sees Gandalf's power. Jesus is saying, the power that you experienced, that was mine. I've shared it with you. I've conferred it to you for a season. Look what he says in verse 19. He says, look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. He's saying, I'm with you. You may have been nervous about that trip going in, but you didn't need to be. I have absolute power over everything you will encounter and I've given it to you. I will be with you. Now, of course, this doesn't mean nothing bad will ever happen to his followers. We know that it will. We know that they will suffer. We know that many will be martyrs. But look how he encourages them in verse 20. He says, however, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You know, one of the things that I've noticed is a real sign of of maturity in ministry is that when someone's ministry efforts succeed, they they just remain level. I remember early when I in, in my ministry life when I used to uh, teach college students, it was it was really easy for my. Uh, contentment to rise and fall based on the number of students that showed up at our weekly Bible study. My happiness was, it, it could easily become attached to how, how, how well are they doing? How much are they growing? How, how many of their friends are they inviting? My attitude w- was connected to how well things were going, to how the Bible study went on a particular night, to how, how many people posted about it on their social media pages afterwards, which back then was just MySpace and Zanga. Um, if you remember Zanga, uh, <laughs> uh ha- have you, have you seen somebody like that? M- maybe, maybe it's you. Maybe you feel this in your job. Maybe you feel it in your ministry pursuits. It's like things go poorly and it's like, oh, woe is me. I'm a failure. Maybe things go well and you're like, oh, can you believe it? It's incredible. I'm amazing. And visions of grandeur easily can creep in, can't they? Look at me, I'm on my way. But what does Jesus say? Notice he doesn't say stop rejoicing, get rid of joy. No, Jesus is not a stoic. Instead, as these disciples are, mirac- are, are celebrating and rejoicing at this miraculous experience they've had, he says, don't anchor your joy on personal or ministry success. Don't do it. Don't fix your rejoicing in outward experiences of God's presence and power. Don't set your hope and your your satisfaction in experiencing miraculous signs and wonders. No, he says, fix your joy on me. He says, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice. Rejoice that you're known by the Father. Rejoice that he remembers you, that he saved you, that he forgave you, that he'll never let you go, that, that he has a, a future for you with him. Your name is written in heaven, he says. Rejoice in that. Tim Keller refers to this as radical evenness. This, this means that when nothing is as it should be in our lives, when our kids are struggling, and failing when your best friends you feel like they've deserted you when the gospel's preached and nothing happens when a job disappears when when marriage is hard when political chaos just seems to be unending guess what you can rejoice you can rejoice why because your joy was never centered on those things It's fixed in heaven. That's where your joy is. That's what your rejoicing should be in. And this also means the opposite. It means when ministry is great, when all is going well, when your spouse loves you, when you finally found a spouse, when your kids are walking with the Lord, when your health is good, when school is easy, when, when neighbors come to know Jesus, when your small group is scratching all of your need for relationship, it's meeting that itch. And to cap it off, someone brought you a bunch of cookies from half baked. I mean, everything just, it's all going right. You can look at those gifts and say, and praise God, but that's not ultimate. I don't need those things. Real joy doesn't depend on all going well. If it did, joy would be so fickle. It would be here today and it would be in shambles tomorrow. No, real joy is unshakable. So we set our our joy upon the rock of ages because he will never be moved. How, How is your joy? Does it feel unsteady? Like, are you feeling, are you, are, you, are you quaking a little bit? Listen, if you've trusted Jesus, remember this today. Know this today. Your name is permanently etched in heaven. More specifically, permanently etched in the palms of your Savior. There is nothing surer than that. So set your joy in him. So that when the ground gives way, joy remains. Number four, the joy of the king. Maybe you would say, well, it's easy for Jesus to say, don't set your heart on your joy and miraculous power because he's saying it to people who have miraculous power. It's easy to say, don't set your rejoicing on having a good life when you already have a good life. No, but these aren't empty words from Jesus. He knows that we are so short-sighted that we have a hard time seeing beyond today, much less beyond this month, this year, this life. Jesus wants the disciples to see something bigger. He wants them to have perspective that there's something better than now. There's something coming that that will make now, the joys of now, that will make these seem like sorrows. Jesus has this perspective, doesn't he? I love these final four verses of this this text because it's just like a little insight into the heart of Jesus. It's like a little worship service that Jesus is letting us see of of his own worship and praise. And and I I think maybe, in fact, that, that might help us to fix our hope in heaven as we see his rejoicing. So listen to what he says in verse 21. It says, at that time he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you father. So before we go any further, this is not like, we can't read things like this. Like it's like a play act. Um, I, this is, this is not like stoic Jesus reciting things. This is not that at all. The, the phrase in English kind of sounds a little bit like at that time he rejoiced. It's kind of like, like a captain's log or something. Uh, at four 55 PM, the Lord rejoiced and then he ate dinner I mean, like, that's, that's not what it is. Uh, the, the English, I don't think, even really grasp what's happening here. What, what this is saying is right at that very moment, exactly as he, as he tells the disciples, your joy, your rejoicing is fixed in heaven. That's where your name is written. At that very moment, he worships. He worships. He rejoices. In fact, it doesn't even, I think rejoicing is too small of a word. It should say rejoice greatly. It's not, it's not, it's a, it's a big word. Many of the translations say greatly. This was an old hat to Jesus. His emotions were rolling out. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. And here's what's moving him. He says, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. Jesus is saying, Father, you've done it. You're doing it. Your plan to make, to make yourself known to the weak and the unimpressive is happening. It's here. This ragtag bunch of disciples, they're seeing it. They're getting it. They're yours. Though many have rejected you, it's through these infants. I don't think that's a term of endearment, really. It's through these infants, through them, that you're going to reveal your grace to the world. You're healing people, making them whole. Father, they're beginning to know you the way that I do. That's what Jesus is saying. And he knows that delights the Father. And he says, Oh, it delights me as well. Verse 22 All these things are all things that have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one who knows the Son is, uh, no one who this, no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Basically, this is the reminder how did any of us come to the Father? We came because of the Son. We came because of the mercy of Jesus that would draw us to Himself. And it was what He desired to do. Jesus rejoices greatly that you know the Father. He's worshiping because you know the Father. Jesus doesn't get caught up in our earthly visions of grandeur for our life. No, He sees you, He sees you as you are, and He sees you as you will be. He sees you as the righteousness of Christ. He looks at you as one who's exalted in the heavenly places with Jesus. That's who you are if you are in Christ, your name etched in heaven, your identity and and your righteousness seated in the heavenlies with Christ. That's who you are. When was the last time you marveled at that? Jesus is marveling at it here. Are you overwhelmed that the father would call you his child? Are you overwhelmed that he invited you into his family? and that he even uses you now, that he sends you out, that he empowers you to do ministry. Because I think those can just be like theological categories and ideas. But may the sweetness of the Father's love not just be white noise for you. It's not lost on our Savior. He's flabbergasted here. Look what he tells him. He says, I tell you in verse, verse 24, I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see the things you see, but they didn't see them. They wanted to hear the things that you hear, but they didn't hear them. The Old Testament saints, they wanted to see what these disciples see. They wanted to see the Messiah having come. They wanted to see his power over the, over the demonic forces. Prophets and kings longed for this realization of the gospel. And guess what? Sitting where we are today, Looking at the cross of Jesus and his empty tomb, the saints of old longed to see that day. But you've seen it. You know it. Here, here we stand, saved, forgiven, empowered by the risen Christ. What a gift. What a gift. You were blind, but God opened your eyes. You were dead in sin, but He made you alive. And I think when the reality of this sort of joy sinks in to a Christian. You, you will want to be an instrument. You will want to be a vessel so that others might know the joy. So other, others might actually be rooted with their names etched in heaven. And so he sends us out. Redeemer, may we treasure him. May we not take this position with him for granted. May we not take this joy for granted. And may he send us out to our schools, to our neighbors, to our friends. May we pray and go and share the joy that is ours in Christ. Let me pray for us. Oh Lord, we praise you. We praise you that you would, first, first that you would even just know us and love us, that you would reveal yourselves to people who don't deserve it, who couldn't have earned it, that you would draw us by your grace, that we would have our sins forgiven. And Lord, now we thank you that you've, that you've called us as those who are ministers of reconciliation. God, would you make us those who would share the joy of Christ with others, that would share the evenness that we have because of our fixed joy, God, would that, would we be those who would share it with others? So Lord, help us. We need your spirit with us today. We need your steadying grace minute by minute. This week, God, would there be, would there be those within this room who because of the fixed hope they have in Jesus. Would others see and rejoice, see and desire to have such a, hope, such a hope, such a joy? So God, would you do this in us? Would you help us just, just to revel in it now, to revel in your kindness to us? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.